Good morning, Calvary. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to preach and teach this morning. Always exciting. Uh, my name is Reese. If we haven't met, I'm the youth and young adults pastor here, and I love this church. I love being with you. I love spending time with you and having conversation with you. Uh, and so I'm just really excited about where we're going. And I love being able to stand up here and look out and see just a lot of friendly faces. We are in the book of Daniel. We've taken a break last week, and we're back this week. And uh, this is going to be a wild ride. First, I want to start off with telling you a little bit of something about myself. Uh, I am a huge fan and a firm believer in great storytelling. Anyone else in here? Like, great storytelling. And I would argue that we all are impacted by great storytelling, whether it's uh, our, when our eyes are glued to a screen and we're like leaning on the edge of the couch watching a film that we're just like captured by, or whether we, uh, I don't know if this, maybe this is just me, I know there's a lot of people out here who love a good read, but when you're into a good book and you just keep it under your pillow for easy access, and then you whip it out at night, we get captured by great storytelling. And one of the things that bothers me uh, is when good stories get spoiled. You hate spoilers? I hate spoilers. When someone comes up and just gives the, the ending away or uh, just ruins the story with like, oh yeah, did you, do you remember when that happened? I'm like, I haven't even watched the, the movie yet. Uh, can't stand spoilers. I had a friend who before he would go and watch a movie, he would look up the ending. I was like, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And so we would go, we'd go to the theaters, and um, I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen. He'd be like, I do. <laughs> what? Why would you do that? And so I kind of made fun of him for it, but eventually he said, you know, I love uh, knowing the ending of a film before I go in because it gives me just a totally new perspective. Uh, whenever a character encounters uh, like a hurdle or a challenge, it's not so much this like anxious tension, but more so it's like, whew, okay, knowing how this ends, I wonder how they're going to like wriggle their way out of this one. It was like a totally different perspective in watching films. And honestly, after he said that, I said, I kind of respect that. That's really interesting. But I continue to make fun of him for it. And what I realize is that I'm actually guilty of this myself. I'm also a perpetrator. I, when I was a child, my father uh, read us The Hobbit. One of the greatest stories of all time. And we would lie in bed, my brothers and I. I'm the middle of three boys. And so getting us to bed was already a, a feat. Um, we would lie in bed, my dad would be reading us The Hobbit, and I would be like curled up in my blankets like, oh my goodness, how are they going to make it out of Mirkwood? What are they going to do? 
One night I decided that I would take matters into my own hands and I saw the book sitting there on a table and I looked around, saw no one was looking and I picked up the book and flipped to the last few pages and I knew how it all ended. (laughs) And so when we would go to bed, I didn't tell anyone, but when we would go to bed, everyone would be all stressed about Bilbo and I would just be like, no worries. (laughs) I know what's going on here. So I'm guilty of it myself. So as we look in Daniel 8, we carry on in this series together. Uh, We'll notice that in this vision that Daniel has, it seems like at every turn the enemy gets greater and greater, nastier and nastier and more powerful than the last. The tension just continues to build. But the theme of this chapter, and arguably it's the theme of the whole book, and if you've been following along in these messages, or if you've read Daniel before, you might catch this, is that despite the current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. We know how it all ends. We know this. And so with every challenge that's laid before, we are left with this perspective of, okay, knowing how this ends, I wonder how we're going to wriggle our way out of this one. (laughs) That's the theme of this. And so... um, A little bit of a precursor before we get into this chapter. Daniel 8 is wild. It is so insane. And this is far and away the most difficult passage of Scripture I have ever preached on or taught on. And so, as we go through this... uh, I just kind of, even, even for me as I was reading this... I was thinking about if I were to just pick up a Bible with no commentary, no footnotes, whatever, and I were to come across Daniel 8, it would be one of those passages that I just kind of gloss over a little bit. Kind of go, okay, next. None of you do that, I know. And so I I just kind of want to uh, let you know that my concern is that uh, I'll lose you as we go throughout this message, that um, as soon as we start going through this chapter in this text, that um, we'll check out and that um, we just kind of submit to how confusing it is. Uh, I want to invite you onto this little journey we're going to take together, because I'm still understanding it as well. And so I just would love to invite you to be with me in this as we go through Daniel chapter 8. So let's lean in. Let's read this passage together, and then we'll chat a little bit about what we have going on here. So we're going to do the first half of Daniel 8, and then we'll pause and reflect. And then we'll do the second half of Daniel 8, and we'll conclude. Before we go in, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the book of Daniel and the gift that it is to us. Pray that you would work through me, Holy Spirit. 
that ultimately your will would be done and your truth would sit in this place, that it would move us to action. And that we would be encouraged by this theme that despite the current situation or the present circumstances, God, you will be victorious in the end. What a truth. So we lean into that this morning. Amen. So if you have your Bible, please open it up. If you have it on your app, Daniel 8, let's read together. It should be up on a slide as well. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me at first. In the vision, I saw myself in Susa, the capital, in the province of Elam, and I was by the Ulai Gate. I looked up and saw a ram standing beside the gate. It had two horns. Both horns were long, but one was longer than the other. And the longer one came up second. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. All beasts were powerless to withstand it, and no one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became strong. As I was watching, a male goat appeared from the west, coming across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a horn between its eyes. It came toward the ram with the two horns that I had been standing beside the gate, and it ran at it with savage force. I saw it approaching the ram. It was enraged against it and struck the ram, breaking its two horns. The ram did not have power to withstand it. It threw the ram down to the ground and trampled upon it. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from its power. Then the male goat grew exceedingly great, but at the height of its power, the great horn was broken. And in its place, there came up four prominent horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, a little one, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the host of heaven. It threw down to earth some of the host and some of the stars and trampled all over them. Then against the prince of the host, it acted arrogantly. It took the regular burnt offering away from him and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. Because of wickedness, the host was given over to it together with the regular burnt offering. It cast truth to the ground and kept prospering in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long? Is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled? And he answered them, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Let's pause there. I hope you're doing okay. A lot of rams, a lot of goats, a lot of horns. So a little bit of context, uh, we're in the third year of the Babylonian king Belshazzar, and Daniel continues to live in exile. So in Daniel 7, which Dave 
preached on previously, uh, we see the book moves away a little bit from these stories of Daniel and his friends living in Babylon and uh, kind of moves towards Daniel's visions about the future and it becomes a little bit more future-oriented. And so in Daniel 7, we witness Daniel have this dream about these beasts, if you were listening to Dave, and the Son of Man. It was a really hopeful vision. And that puts us in Daniel 8 now. And in a similar time in history, but with a totally different vision. And so Daniel receives this bewildering vision. It is so confusing. We read that in the vision. He sees himself in Susa, which is a city outside Babylon, and finds himself right beside the Ulai Gate uh, of the Ulai Canal. So two things to quickly note here. Uh, the setting of Daniel's vision is reminiscent of Ezekiel. Uh, he had this initial prophetic vision uh, by the Kibar River, and that just helps us connect some dots between prophetic books in the Old Testament. So like Daniel, um, we also see that animals are involved, uh, used as symbolism for people and empires at the time, or empires or people or leaders to come. That's what's at play here. And so the location of Daniel's vision is uh, that it was, it was outside Babylon and close to the center of future power. And so which this helps Daniel become increasingly aware that the powerful kingdom of the time, it's a ticking time bomb. It's not going to last. And so as we go through this, Daniel looks up and the first character he's presented with is a ram. The ram has two horns, and it's bulldozing everyone and everything in its path. It's rampaging to the west, the north, the south. Nobody has a chance against this ram. It's like, who could stand a chance against this thing? So, uh, as we read further, a different animal interrupts the vision. This time it's a goat. It's got a huge horn between its eyes. And so uh, it, then it takes down this seemingly all-powerful ram with complete ease. So now the goat, instead of the ram, is the alpha animal in this situation. Suddenly the goat's horn is cut off, and four new horns grow in different directions. Like, it's so hard to try and, like, imagine this. I can't imagine how Daniel was feeling. So the focus changes from the ram, and it changes from the goat to a smaller horn that is growing out of the four new horns. And so the horn starts small, but quickly exceeds the other horns and grows as tall as the heavens, it says, to challenge what is written as the prince of the host. The horn does some damage and it wreaks some havoc up there. And we read that truth was thrown to the ground and that this horn did whatever it wanted to. It continued to prosper. And so the next few verses, we see a conversation start to take place between two celestial beings. And they discuss, like, how long? How long is this craziness, this abuse going to go on for at the hands of this power? How long? And so before the vision continues, Daniel's interrupted by this unique figure. Okay, how are we doing? Okay. I, I told you. This is no ordinary Bible story. 
Uh, we just talked about rams, goats, celestial beings. Um, sometimes I feel like pastors, just to side note, pastors are kind of like those, um, those friends that give un- unsolicited explanations for things. Do you have any, like maybe you're one of those people who just like whenever you walk by something, you're like, oh, like, let me just explain that to you. I have to admit I'm that kind of person, which makes, uh, it's kind of a deadly combo that I also preach sometimes. You're like, Reese, we don't need to know that. Like, even the rest of the night we were walking, we just moved to Port Moody. We were walking down by Rocky Point Ice Cream. Love that place. And I saw that they had Hokey Pokey ice cream on the lineup. And I said, Reese, let me, let me explain this to you. Like, I'm going to explain Hokey Pokey ice cream to you. And I start, like, explaining this. And she's just smiling. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up? She's like, you've already explained this to me before. <laughs> like, shoot. Uh, so anyways, I apologize if uh, my preaching comes off as like one unsolicited explanation after another. Um, but I'll say this, is that I love how the Bible isn't irrelevant to us like hokey pokey ice cream. Like this stuff actually matters. And so when we actually go and dig into this stuff, it's not that it's just like useless content that we can just throw to the wayside. Uh, even the stuff in Daniel like the rams, the goats, all that stuff. This is important stuff. So as we go through the next portion of this chapter, my hope is that we would kind of reframe, like maybe some of you have already checked out and been like, oh my goodness, there's no way this chapter is relevant to my life. I want to challenge you. See what you can find in this. And so uh, I just want us to land in that place where we're encouraged and emboldened by the fact that uh, we serve a God who's ultimately triumphant over all this stuff that he works through his word. So uh, we're going to start, we're going to pick up at verse 15 again. So if you're in your Bible, join me there. It reads, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I tried to understand it. Then someone appeared standing before me, having the appearance of a man. And I heard a human voice by the Uli calling, Gabriel, help this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I became frightened and fell prostrate. But he said to me, understand, O mortal, that the vision is for the time of the end. As he was speaking to me, I fell into a trance. This is Daniel, face to the ground. Then he touched me and set me on my feet. He said, listen, I will tell you what will take place later in the period of wrath, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, but not with his power. At the end of their rule, when the transgressions have reached their full measure, A king of bold countenance shall arise, skilled in intrigue. He shall grow strong in power, shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does. He shall destroy the powerful and the people of the Holy One. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall be great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and shall even rise up against prince of princes but he shall be broken 
and not by human hands. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that have been told is true. As for you, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was dismayed. I was dismayed by the vision, and I did not understand it. So now we have, we're gonna, so we're going to pause here. Now we have this front row seat to this vision being interpreted to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. And so let, let's just quickly touch on who Gabriel is. You may have heard that name and be familiar with uh, Gabriel if you're familiar with the Christmas story. So Gabriel uh, is an angel that appears in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know that Gabriel appears to share the good news of Jesus' birth, and he is featured in the book of Daniel as well. So Gabriel tells Zacharias in the book of Luke that he stands in the presence of God, that Gabriel stands in the presence of God. So we're led to believe that Gabriel is a high-standing, a high-ranking angel that works closely with God. And so Gabriel's only one of two angels that are explicitly named in the Bible that we read. And so uh, the other one would be Michael, the warrior angel. So as well, Gabriel appears like a man, but also shows this great power, seeing as both Daniel and Zechariah were both afraid and overcome when they encounter him. And so uh, let's move on. Gabriel's the one who's sent to interpret this vision for Daniel. So we're going to dive into the ins and outs of uh, this interpretation. And so for some, this might be a little bit interesting. For some, this might be super, super dry. Um, so I'm going to try my best with this. And um, we're going to compile some content here uh, that's from within the text, but also from scholarly commentary and review that... Um, they've come to these sort of conclusions and so uh, in its historical context. So I'll try and make this short and sweet. So here are the things that we need to highlight when we look at the interpretation of this vision. So number one, we're interpreting the animals. So the ram, are the emojis up there? Perfect. The ram, the kings of Media and Persia. So Persia is the bigger horn, which grew larger than Media. So that's the kind of empire that the vision is highlighting. The goat is the Greek empire. And the, the large horn, the singular horn, is led. Scholars uh, firmly believe that this horn represents um, the great conqueror from Greece, Alexander the Great, who his empire was from around Italy to India. Huge, huge conqueror. So, next we want to try and interpret this small horn. And uh, with almost consensus, the um, scholars and commentators on this passage believe that uh, it's King Antiochus from the Seleucid Empire that's being referenced. And so he's an intertestamental ruler, meaning that he was ruling between, uh, in that time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he ruled from Greece to Eastern Asia. Again, large 
um, area. And what made uh, Antiochus so nasty was that he sought to viciously end Jewish ritual. He was so focused on ending worship from Yahweh. And so we see that in the interpretation and the vision, like how brutal this small horn is who is uh, led to be Antiochus. So replacing any worship of Yahweh with worship of Zeus. That was the God that they were going to worship and forced to worship. And even better yet, in the temples that were formerly uh, used to worship Yahweh, God, they killed pigs in these temples, which if you've read the Old Testament, that's offensive to the Jewish people. They slaughtered and sacrificed pigs in the temple to worship Zeus. And so um, there is, uh, they found a great foe, the people of God, a great enemy in the, in the king uh, of the Seleucid Empire. It was like an attack against heaven, an attack against the faith, an attack against the prince of princes who's interpreted to be God. So next, we see some numbers um, in this passage. And I just want to quickly touch on this. So it's important for us to try and interpret this time frame. So um, questions to ask. Is the number indicating the re-consecration of the priesthood in the second century? Or is it the date that uh, Antiochus dies? Or is the number symbolic? Like when this whole thing is going to end? I think it's important for us um, to look at what a theologian Tremper Longman says about this. He says this. He says, the number is given not so much so that those who read Daniel's 6th century prog, uh, prognostications in the 2nd century would compute when the suffering would stop, as much as to assure them, this is huge, that God had things under control. Furthermore, the number indicates with certainty that there would be a stopping point to the persecution. Even if that number could not be computed, into a definite date in the calendar as they knew it. There have been a lot of Christian leaders who have, through the last number of centuries, tried to, um, yeah, compute what this date meant. Leaders have pointed towards, like, September 1994 as, like, when all this would take place and when persecution would end. But uh, as Tremper Longman says, we really don't think that's the point here. The point is that God has it under control. That's what he's trying to communicate. And that there will be an end. We're certain that there will be an end to the persecution and the suffering. So the time frame and the numbers are about finding comfort in God's sovereignty. They're about finding comfort in God's control, not for date setting when Jesus' return is going to happen. It's really, really important for us to know. Okay, so we just worked through all that stuff. Are you with me, church? Okay. So I love how this whole chapter ends here. It says that Daniel was overcome, sick, dismayed, and just didn't understand it. Literally, as I was preparing this sermon, I kept coming back to Daniel as like the most relatable guy ever. It's a little dramatic, but it's kind of true. 
I think it's important for us to jump back to this overarching theme at this point, which is, if you remember, despite the current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. Despite the current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. And as you can see through that passage, the enemy got greater and greater and greater, more and more powerful, and it kind of looked like, when is this going to end? Despite the current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. We need to come back to this theme because if you're anything like me, it's super easy to get lost in the history of this and the who's who, like who, which one means which. It, it, is, it can be really interesting, but I just don't think that that's the whole point. We need to recognize that this literature is from its time, yes, and the empires and the timelines and such and the leaders, um, they are represented in somewhat proximity to the time of Daniel. But when we take a look, the theme of this chapter, we can certainly find that, as theologian Joyce Baldwin says, we are being introduced to a recurring historical phenomenon. Okay, what this means is that destructive empires, brutal empires and leaders, have and will continue to cause suffering until the kingdom of God is established. Hasn't that been obvious for a long time? Um, in World War II, a lot of people recognize the Battle of Stalingrad to be kind of the decisive battle in the war. And that when Nazi Germany retreated from the Battle of Stalingrad, it was like pretty much certain victory for the Allies. Even though the war was as good as won, and that it looked pretty much certain that Hitler and the Nazis were going to fall, the, the battles still raged on. Death still occurred. Suffering still happened up until the end. When Jesus was crucified and resurrected, the battle was won. Yet we still find ourselves in a period of time where damage is still being done. Evil still exists. And destruction will continue until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. We still grieve the damage and bro that, that broken empires leave in their wake. And that brutal leaders leave in their wake. And we anticipate the healing the kingdom of God will bring and Jesus' return will bring. We anticipate that. So I think it's best for us if we land this conversation about how we respond in the meantime to the continued suffering at the hands of the empires of this world. What do we do with the empires that we live under today? That like the ram, like the goat, like the horns, will continue to run over and bulldoze and oppress humanity. What do we do? 
How do we respond to this reality we're living in? I believe we can respond in three ways. And this is something I really want you to take home. Number one, I believe we, we, we should lament over suffering. We need to lament over the suffering in this world. At the end of uh, Daniel's vision, we catch these holy ones, these celestial beings, having a conversation. One of the beings asks, how long? How long will this attack go on before God ultimately comes victorious? This tone is, is kind of a tone of lament. When we look at the suffering of this world, that's in this world, at the hands of brutal leaders and oppressive empires, we're pushed to lament. And there's a difference, really, in our relationship with God between lamenting and complaining. And Dr. Glenn Packham says this really well. He says, a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character, but a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. When our hearts are grieved over injustice and suffering and we lament, we actually worship, worshipfully acknowledge God's holiness and his set-apartness. And there is so much to grieve. There is so much to lament. We are, like Joyce Baldwin argues, still surrounded by evil that resembles that of Daniel's vision. Destructive empires exist in politics as radicalized leaders punish their people in order to save their pride. Destructive empires definitely exist in corporations that abuse workers and, and laborers and employees in order to profit off of this human suffering. We need to grieve that. Destructive empires definitely exist online where young men and women are trafficked and abused and other people watch. Destructive empires exist in religion where women are still treated as second-class citizens in places and where a whole church can commit cultural genocide that impacts people for generations. This is the stuff we need to grieve and lament. How long, Lord? How long? How long will the desolation, the transgressions, and the trampling continue? Jesus asks us to pray this, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to lament over suffering. Second way we can respond is this. We need to imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. So across the scriptures, we see individuals who live faithful and beautiful lives under evil empires and leaders. Daniel is one of those people we read about, his friends, living in Babylon. Daniel's neck deep 
in some of the gnarliest evil. But he's living faithfully and beautifully in that. In Jesus, we find the perfect model for living in difficult circumstances. He says, in this world you'll find trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In Jesus, we find someone who is face-to-face with evil of many kinds. So he lived under the Roman regime, one that sought to conquer more and more at the expense of any other way of life. He also lived under the oppression of a religious system as well with the Pharisees. He was face-to-face with this stuff. So as the Messiah... As people recognize Jesus as someone worth following and the coming Messiah that was prophesied, people expected him to take arms. People pleaded with him to like bring hellfire upon these people, to lead a violent rebellion, lead a huge convoy against these powers. And what we see in Jesus is someone who kept evil at bay with different tactics. Jesus thrived as a minority, faithfully serving his father. He suffered under the powers while simultaneously exposing injustice. Ultimately, Jesus conquered evil by letting evil conquer him. How do we imitate that? What does that actually look like in our lives? And so it's important for us to ask ourselves this question. How are we responding to the destructive empires of our time? If we do an honest assessment, how are we responding? Does our response align with the character of Jesus? The Jesus that we read in the Gospels? And if not, how do we adjust? How do we pivot so that our response can be the Jesus way. Imitate Jesus. Number three, anticipate the kingdom. Actively anticipate the kingdom. And this is where we come back to the theme of this text. Despite current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. That's a promise. That's good news. Foundational to our faith is our hope and expectation of Jesus' return to forever establish the kingdom of God. And our faith is not that eventually we as humans will gather enough strength and influence that we ourselves can usher in the kingdom. That's not our theology. That's not what we believe. At the end of this chapter, read this line. This is crucial to this text. In verse 25, but he shall be broken and not by human hands. This line is referencing the downfall of this small horn that was causing great suffering for the people of God. So we believe that this is true for the downfall of all empires and kingdoms that aren't God's. They will be broken, not by us, not by what we can offer, but by God's hand. So when we anticipate the establishment of God's kingdom, we get to take the burden off of ourselves as to when and how this will all happen. That's up to God alone. 
The amazing news is this, is that despite the current circumstances, God will be victorious in the end. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we conclude. In this passage, Daniel 8, we have a vision. The vision's about evil and destructive empires and leaders that will continually oppress humanity. We also have an interpretation of the vision. We see that very specific empires and leaders are represented, but we also see that this is a repeating narrative. And as the chapter finishes, we're left confident that these empires will fall, that these powers will fall, but not by human merit. God's victory will come, and his kingdom will be established. I love how this passage leads us to wonder and get curious about what is this kingdom of God? What's it like in contrast to the failed kingdoms of our world? I'll tell you this. The empires of this world will continue to destroy, but the kingdom of God restores. In the kingdom of God, all oppression will end. No more tears. No more death. No more disease. No more injustice. All of it will end. It's a kingdom in which the ruler is named love. One who will worship and stand with forever. If you're able, would you stand with me? And I want to pray together that we would continue to lament over the suffering in our world, that we would continue to do our best to imitate Jesus in our lives, and that we would collectively anticipate the coming of God's kingdom.